0: Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace Bible Church. My name is Kyle Cox. And let me just say, for all of you who are in here, who were supposed to go to the 915, but ended up here, welcome. Welcome to the 11. Um, And I know every pastor in the country is making that joke, and so I felt I needed to do that in order to inaugurate this, uh, this sermon. Um, a little bit about me. Um, I graduated from A&M in 2013. Uh, oh, nice. Okay. You see, the last service, no one whooped and no one was here, and I was, I was kind of sad and alone. It was sad, but I'm good now. Um, so I graduated in 2013 and I came on staff at Grace as an intern or a fellow, if you're familiar with our fellows program, and, uh, have since come on staff. Full time. And this week was a really exciting week because two months ago this week I got married to this lovely lady right here. That is, uh, yeah, (laughs) that is uh, Chamilla Panilla. No, it was, it was Chamilla Panilla. It is now Chamilla Cox, uh, which is kind of a bummer because that name is really cool. And I will say she's actually working on changing her name this week. And there's some of us who are signing petitions to keep the Panilla in the middle of the name. And so if you would like to sign that petition, meet with me after. This has nothing to do with the service. I'm serious. I need your signature. Thank you. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) one thing I've loved about living with Chamilla, and this is one of the many, so if you see her, don't be like, yeah, it's weird that he said that's the one thing he loved. No, the one of the many things I love about Chamila is that ever since I started living with um, our house, you know, I've lived with roommates, all throughout the last eight years, and I will notice I never realized how musty and sweaty men were until I started living with uh, Chamilla. And one of the things that I love is just the different sensations that please the nostrils. I, lavender. Who knew lavender was a scent? Not me. Strawberry. Vanilla. I don't know. It's amazing. I love it. It's great. But I will say, however, um, I really genuinely enjoyed my time with my roommates. I loved the last eight years of living with roommates. Most of them were groomsmen in my wedding. We were just all great close friends. And, uh, but one thing I loved about it was the shenanigans we would get ourselves into. Some of them because we were kind of dumb and did things that you shouldn't do. Like, oh, let's jump off that and see what happens. Stuff like that. But there were other things that just happened upon us. And I find I was the common denominator in all of it. And so I take that as you will. Um, but one situation that I remember that I thought was kind of funny was one time, me and my roommates, uh, last year, we were sitting in our living room, just hanging out. And suddenly, we hear this thing inside our walls, just climbing. And we didn't, we didn't think too much of it. We thought, probably a raccoon or a possum that got in the walls, no big deal. But for the next two months, that thing started to become things. And those things started to become louder. And so we got a little concerned and we talked to our landlord. And our landlord, I mean, within the hour of giving him a problem, he would be on the ball fixing it. And so our landlord, he calls an exterminator. This guy goes up in the attic and he, I mean, for like two minutes looks around. And he was like, well, you for sure have lizards. And I remember my roommates and I were, we're just like, I mean, unless these lizards are Komodo dragons, we're not really concerned with the lizards. And so we told our landlord this. This did not suffice a good enough answer for him. So he sends another guy. This guy goes up there. He looks around. And he's up there for like an hour. And he finally comes back down. And he was like, I see the problem. You have a rat infestation. Um, Which is pretty gross. And so I asked him. I said, is that... 10 to like 20 rats and he says no that's a rat family and he says a rat colony is 20 to 30 rats a rat infestation is 30 to 50 rats and you're on the upper end of that and so for two months we had been living in this house full of rats and I know some of you in the room are like please stop saying rat I'm sorry we're getting through it um I'll say critters from now on so there were these critters in our walls And you know what's funny is that there was like a four-month period of trying to get these guys out finally, but after the first month, we just... We just kind of got used to them, you know? They didn't come out and bother us. We would hear them, and we'd be like, oh, there's, I don't know, Joseph again, running around the wall. We'd give them names. Um, and it was funny. We would have people over. I remember one girl in particular, she was sitting by the fireplace, and she heard squeak, 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 squeak. I, don't, I don't do a good rat impres- impersonation, but uh, she hears this squeaking, freaks out, and me and my roommates were like, oh, no, no, don't worry. That's just the rats. And uh, like, it was nothing. It was just nothing for us. Um, but it wasn't until our urgency peaked that we really wanted to get these guys out. There was an oppression over us, an oppression of rats. It's like a horror movie. Um, and it wasn't until we heard what I believe to be the rat Armageddon or rat world war, if you will. Uh, my roommate Hayden and I, we are sitting down eating dinner. We hear the little critters in the wall and then we hear just something drop. And next thing we know, we hear, and I kid you not, I can't express how much I'm not kidding. We hear what sounds like, 30 jaguars just growling and viciously attacking each other, ripping off skin and flesh. That is what it sounded like. It was horrifying horrifying. I mean, for a good hour, this went on. And so so we finally resolved to, we got to get these things out. And so we went back to our landlord, begged and begged. And of course he wanted to get these things out because he's trying to sell a house. And we we do more and more ways to get these guys out. And one day they just disappeared. I'm not totally sure what happened. I like to think we did something, but until this day, one of my best friends, he's living in that house now and he has not heard a single little guy or smelt one either for that matter. So I guess they're gone. I don't know. Um, but I didn't know what, what was ahead of me because just a few months after that is when I got married. And so I went from living in a house of rats and must and sweat and went to a house with lavender and vanilla and uh, chamilla panilla. And so, uh, thank you. First service didn't get that. That was on the spot. <laughs> Not to brag. Um, I am. Um, so. I went into this house and it was, it was just a wonderful, wonderful new life. So why do I say that? I say that as Christ, because as Christians, we recognize that there is truly something wrong with our world. There is a brokenness to our world. There's oppression in our world. And ultimately, that is an oppression of sin. Sin is oppressing this world. And I think what happens is sometimes we can get into this situation where we just shrug off our shoulders and say, I know it's not supposed to be there, but what are you going to do? And then it, it isn't until we turn on the news and we see something tragic, another natural disaster, another shooting, something that triggers in this a response for something new, something better. And I'll say as a culture, I think we love the stories of the underdog taking on the oppressive regime. For example, the Lord of the Rings. um, Oh, nice. Uh, The Lord of the Rings with Frodo and who I believe to be the true hero. Sam, go through all Middle Earth to throw this ring in Mount Doom and completely remove and vanquish this evil oppression over Middle Earth or Star Wars or The Hunger Games or whatever it is. But I feel like as a culture, we really like these stories because I think as a culture and especially as us Christians, we genuinely recognize that there is a true presence, oppression over our world that has constituted this world into brokenness. For example, I was reading in the Mission Network News this week that in Uganda right now, there is one nurse to every 5,000 people. Um... And these witch doctors, they have, they have heard this and they have started to abuse this. And these witch doctors, they've gone into these uh, towns and villages. They've offered hope. They've offered healing. And what they're doing is they're taking their money, they're taking their goods, and then they're killing these people. And these Christian, local Christians in Uganda, they, they heard of that and they said, we're not going to let you oppress these people any longer. And so what they did is they built several uh, medical schools where these Christians went and got medical training. And so they decided to go into Uganda and address the physical need, but also the spiritual need. And it's to the point where these witch doctors right now, currently, are still persecuting these Christians and trying to burn down these medical schools because these Christians are fighting back. And we read that and we get excited because all over our world, our entire world, there's something inside of us that longs for a revolution. We want things to change. We want a new leader. We want a new system. We want things different than how they are now because our world is broken and our world is a mess. And so this is what we're addressing this morning. So we've been in the book of Matthew in our series, Follow the King. And we've been back and forth, but we've spent a lot of time on the Sermon on the Mount. And it's inevitably brought us to the Lord's Prayer. And uh, as I was reading through the Lord's prayer, I realized you could really do a sermon on each verse of the Lord's prayer. And so, to put it into context, first, I want to say this prayer that Jesus gives was not a prayer that's meant to be recited. We're not supposed to just say the Lord's prayer. This He's giving structure. He's giving a means and example on how to pray. So, for example, most of us probably don't literally pray. Give us this day our daily bread. What we pray is, Lord. Help us, provide for us because I just lost my job. Does that make sense? Um, and so I was looking at this and the, the verse that stood out to me was verse 10, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth that is it, that it is in heaven. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to see the implication and the application of praying, of we praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because it's a revolutionary prayer. And I think we really should understand it. And so we're talking about the kingdom this morning. And so first what I want to do is I want to define what a kingdom is for our purposes. Um, So the kingdom is a pretty huge theme throughout scripture. The kingdom of God occurs 68 times in 10 different New Testament books. And the kingdom of heaven alone occurs 32 times in Matthew alone. That's not even including the Old Testament. And so the kingdom of God is a huge theme throughout scripture. And as we define it, we can say that the kingdom are, are, frankly, people in a kingdom who are influenced by the governing reign of the king. In other words, what the kingdom values, that's what he will implement in society. So if we have a bad leader or a bad king, that's bad for us because he will implement bad values into society. And so to just give a goofy example, so in America, America values free speech. So I could get up here and I could say Flamingo Toad. And uh, that's not a word, I made it up, but I could say it because America values free speech. I could spend the next 30 minutes saying Flamingo Toad, which is a cross between a flamingo and a toad. And and I mean, I would probably never be asked to speak again, but I could say it because America values free speech. Chamilla and I, when we have kids, And our kingdom, when they grow up, and inevitably we try to pick as a family, what show do we watch? It will always be The Office, because Jamila and I like The Office. And when they finish The Office and they say, Mom and Dad, what show should we watch now? We will say, we will rewatch The Office, because we like The Office. So you see, the kingdom is shaped by the culture of the king. The king shapes the culture. And so for us, we have to ask the question then, who do we want as king? Are we okay with the leader right now in our world or in America? Are we okay with that? And let me tell you, we never will be. No matter how bad the leader is, we will never be satisfied and we will never be okay with it. Not until that kingdom come. And so to define the kingdom... We call the kingdom the visible and physical reign of Jesus during the millennium after the second coming and the perfect universal reign of God in heaven after the last judgment. So when Jesus is telling us to pray that kingdom come, he's saying pray that he would be here reigning as king on this earth. Because we want this earth shaped by his character and his values. And so what I have are three responses to this prayer. Throughout the rest of the sermon, we're going to look at three responses we have in light of praying, thy kingdom come. And the first is this. As we pray, thy kingdom come, we are anticipating the kingdom. This is a revolutionary prayer. And it's revolutionary because the second you're in one kingdom and say, I want that kingdom to come into this kingdom and overthrow this kingdom, we become revolutionaries. And so we Christians in the room, we claim we are not part of the kingdom of this world, and so we wait in great anticipation for a better kingdom. And we see throughout Matthew that the kingdom of God was a big theme and reason why Jesus was on earth. Matthew 9.35 says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. Matthew 6, 33 says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. In Matthew 13, Jesus, he gives the uh, parables about the kingdom. And so the kingdom is the ministry that Jesus is about. He's proclaiming the kingdom. He's telling us to put the kingdom in the forefront of our mind. And so if you would, with me now, turn to Isaiah chapter 65. For the rest of this talk, we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 65, because What Isaiah 65 does is it lays out and illustrates beautifully, I might add, the future kingdom, the future new heaven, and the new earth. So we're just going to look at a couple verses, and we're going to find in great anticipation of the new kingdom, we have great hope. Let's start with something fun. So in verse 25. In Isaiah verse 65:25, it says, "The wolf and the lamb shall graze together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent 's food, and they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain." So what this verse tells us is the brokenness of the animal kingdom will be renovated back to perfect- perfection prior before the fall." That was kind of the same words I said in two words, sorry, before the fall. And so the animal kingdom what we could say then, for example, is when Shamila and I were watching a show last week, there was this guy who had a pet tiger. And I told her, in the kingdom of God, I'm going to have a pet tiger. And she was like, what? Now just keep watching the show. And I was like, but it's true. In the reality in the kingdom of God, animals will revert back to perfection under the submissiveness and will of God. And so, for example, I believe that rat infestations are results of the fall. I believe that in the kingdom of God, there won't be rat infestations. I believe that there will be baby kitten infestations. These guys will be the guys that infest our walls. And whoever's in here like, oh, gross. Talk to one of our pastors afterwards so we can talk about your sanctification. Because um, those things are adorable. Or... If we do have rat infestations, and this is me really interpreting here, it'll be this rat. Um, that's a Pikachu, for those of you who are unaware. Or, and he's, here's me really, really, really interpreting, maybe it's a cross between the two. I don't know. Maybe. But what we do know is in the kingdom of God, there will be no issues with animals. And that's really exciting. As someone who loves animals, I'm really excited for that. So we look in our world, and we recognize there is a brokenness to this world, right? We see pain, and we see death. We see heartbreak. Um, one, of my, one of my best friends, he was, he was speaking to um, a group of high schoolers a couple of weeks ago, and in this talk, he, uh, he shared that he and his wife were trying to get pregnant, and they, have been, they had been trying to have a baby for the last couple years, um, and they, they were pregnant three years ago. Um, and they lost the baby in the second trimester. And uh, after this, they got pregnant again. And yet again, in the second trimester, they lost the baby. And they're actually pregnant again. And they're about to enter the second trimester. And one of these students says, what if, or asks, what if it happens again? And what my friend replied with, <laughs> he took us to Isaiah 65, 20. And it says, no longer will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his days. And so he was able to look these students in the eye and say, if we lose this third child, we will still say God is good. We will still say he's good because the reality is I will be an eternity with him in a new heaven and a new earth and the two children that I lost. I will see them face to face in a glorified state and we will worship Jesus forever with no option of death. And so we have a great hope in a future kingdom. We have hope. And so in all the pain in our world, there is a hope for a better future. That one day, we will see the ones we've lost. And we will see them in a glorified state, worshiping Jesus forever. You see, as we pray that kingdom come, as we anticipate the new kingdom, we have hope. We see brokenness and way the world, the people of the world abuse one another. Another report I was reading by the UNICEF, which is a crazy acronym, um, that in 2016, 25,846 refugee children tried to cross into Europe via the Mediterranean. Nine out of ten of these were under the age of 16 without an adult. And out of these under-16-year-olds, unaccompanied by an adult, three-quarters were abused sexually by an adult on their journey. That's around 18,000 children abused on their journey, if you do the math. But it's happening in America, too. The National Children's Society, they say right now the average age that a woman enters prostitution is 13, and that 300,000 young girls right now in America between the age of 12 and 17 are being used for sexual slavery for money right now in our country. I read that and I think that's insane. That's sick. That's wrong. I don't want this to be eternity. I don't want this to be forever. I look at that and I feel like I get angry. You know, I don't don't want people abused. I don't understand how someone could look at a child and see someone who should be cared and loved for and, and instead sees them as an opportunity. We see that relationships and families are broken. We see we see brokenness and hurt and abuse everywhere. Everywhere. But what does he say in Isaiah? He says in Isaiah 65, 19, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad of my people and no more shall be heard in it, the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. I read that and I think of anyone who's abused when Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. I think that's who I want as their king. A king who says, There's no abuse in my kingdom. There's only a king who loves you so intimately, who loves you and seeks to give you rest, who loves you and says, You will not be weary in my presence. That's the king that we want. We anticipate this kingdom because there is hope. There is hope for those of us who have lost friends and family. There is hope for the abused. There is hope in this future reality. And as I was driving over here, I really had to reflect and ask God, do I believe this is true? Because it is, that it is true. One day we will be in a glorified state with no pain, no pain, worshiping our King Jesus. And so we hear these things and they get us passionate. And I would say, fuse that passion into your prayers. So I recognize anticipating the kingdom is a very passive response. It's a good response, but it's passive. And so these next two responses are uh, are more active responses. So as we pray that kingdom come, we are anticipating the kingdom, um, and we are also representing the kingdom. This is a transforming prayer. Um, so to talk about this, I... Uh, when I came on staff at Grace as an intern, I remember we would take these intern classes. And I remember the very first Monday, the very first class that, uh, that Blake actually taught, he gave us this phrase, and it was, God seeks to establish his kingdom on earth through human representation. And almost every Monday, we would hear that. And throughout that process, it dawned on me the weights of that phrase. And so let me explain. When Jesus was on earth he offered the kingdom presently he said the kingdom is here and all you have to do is say yes but what happened is is jesus was rejected instead they killed jesus and so the kingdom is not here currently however jesus has inaugurated the kingdom the kingdom process of it coming has begun and it is because jesus has inaugurated that process So the kingdom is inaugurated, but it is not finalized. It is not here. Excuse me. And so if we could talk about the kingdom, I would say there are three phases to it coming. The first is Jesus has inaugurated the kingdom. Jesus is currently using the church to usher in the kingdom. And Jesus will finalize the kingdom in the millennium. And so where we're at right now is two. Jesus is using the church to usher in the kingdom and so this is what it means that he is establishing his kingdom on earth through human representation. He is using I, you and I to represent and usher in what will one day be a present reality. And so what we could then say is that there is a form or a picture of the kingdom on earth right now. And it's the church. The fullness of the kingdom is not here yet, but a form of it is. And it's you and I. And so as kingdom representatives in Matthew chapter 13, 38, Jesus says, as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. And John 13, 35 says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, there is an expectation we have as Christians to represent the kingdom. Now I say that. And the first thing that crosses my mind is, well, I sin very frequently. I don't represent the for the kingdom very frequently. So what then? Well, I would say just as Jesus met with Peter in John 21, he dealt with Peter's sin and then he used Peter to start the church. We are in the same situation. Whatever we're dealing with in our sin, let's deal with it with Jesus and let's move forward because there's kingdom business that Jesus wants to use you and I to take part of. So in Isaiah chapter 35, 5 through 6, it says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, and shall the lame leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute rejoice. So what Jesus did when he was on earth, he performed these miracles, right? He healed the blind. He healed the mute. He healed the deaf. And so as Jesus was performing these miracles, these miracles, yes, they showcased the divinity of Jesus as fully God, but they also demonstrated aspects of the kingdom or kingdom blessings. So he was representing the kingdom. And then he tells his disciples in Matthew ten six through 8, "'Go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, "'The kingdom of heaven is at hand. "'Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, and cast out demons.'" And so then the disciples went throughout, throughout the kingdom, excuse me, not throughout the kingdom. Then the disciples went out through their community and performed miracles to represent the kingdom. And so what does that mean for us? Because for the most part, you and I probably won't be casting out demons. We probably won't be performing miracles. Some of us maybe, I don't know. For the most part, most of us won't. So how do we represent the kingdom? It's with our actions. Are we kind? Are we loving? Are we compassionate on our enemies? Because this prayer is a prayer of transformation. When the kingdom comes, there will be no, there will be no uncompassion. Marriages change, relationships change. When the kingdom comes, everything is restored back to perfection. And so, for us to reflect the kingdom, it is us to be kind. It is us to be ca- compassionate. Do we love the immigrant? Do we love the refugee? Or do we just say, "Get out"? Do we do we see the state that our world is in and do we blame the republicans or the democrats or do we respond with compassion and love? We reflect the kingdom and represent the kingdom and no amount of sin can prevent us from lo- or can make us lose our salvation. However, don't take that lightly because there is an expectation that we hold as kingdom representatives. 1 Corinthians 10:31 says whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do do all for the glory of God. You see, we want to represent attributes of the king in everything we do. In everything we do, we want to reflect the glory of God. So Jesus, in the Sermon of the Mount, he lays out this kingdom ethic. And if we're living a life that represents that kingdom ethic, not only will we, will we be called blessed, as the Beatitudes say, but we will also be exhibiting and living out the kingdom ethic that the world may see a new kingdom. Lifestyle that the world may see Jesus reflected in us. And this brings me to my last point. We are anticipating the kingdom, we are representing the kingdom, and we are proclaiming the kingdom. This is a missionary's prayer. Matthew twenty four fourteen says this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. So we have a job to make Jesus known. We take the gospel of Jesus from this room into our community and throughout the whole world. So we have a job. We have a mission to make our king, Jesus, known. And so for many of us, I would ask, where in your life can you make Jesus known? For students, it's in your schools. Parents, when you drop off your kids at soccer or basketball, get to know the other parents that you may you may reflect and proclaim the name of Jesus. For some of us, we have passions in certain areas. And I would say, learn about those passions. For some of you, you have a passion to make Jesus known to the marginalized. I would say, talk to the bridge. Some of you, you have a passion to make Jesus known to me- to women who are pregnant and scared and they don't know what to do. Talk to Hope Pregnancy. For some of you, you have a passion to make Jesus known um, to international students. Talk to crew. Talk to bridges. For some of you, you have a passion for missions. And I would say give sacrificially and freely to missions. Or, and this is what happened to me, perhaps you have a passion for missions because God is calling you to go overseas on the mission field. Now, here's where I believe the tension lies. I think most of us can get on board with that. I think most of us can agree, yes, let's reach the marginalized. Yes, let's, re- let's reach the nations. But what about the murderer? What about the abuser? What about those sins we deem unforgivable? And I heard, a, I heard a pastor illustrate it this way. If God suddenly in front of us said, Yeah, let's wipe them out. Let's wipe out all the murderers. A lot of us would be like, Yeah, we'd be on board with that. We'd be like, Do it. Wipe them out. Wreck shop. And he said, All those who abuse, we're getting them out. A lot of us would be like, Yes, get them out of here. And then he says, All those who have ever lied, let's get them out. And we're like, Yeah, hang on a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. And he says, all those who judge, we're getting them out. We're like, I mean, the grace and and Jesus. And suddenly, (laughs) suddenly we realize the standard by which God would have us live. None of us reach. We all fall short. We all fail from the liar to the murderer. We all, none of us, none of us reach the standard by God that God would have us live. And so what do we do with that? Well, it's not really what we do, but it's what's been done. You see, God looked on the earth and he saw enemies of him, people who rejected him, people who rebelled against him, but he looked down with great compassion and Jesus came to earth as fully God and fully man and he lives a perfect life and then he is rejected and crucified, dying, taking the punishment and death that we deserved. And then three days later, he rises from the grave, effectively conquering sin, defeating sin once and for all, that we may be reconciled to him. As it says in Romans 5.10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. You see, God looked down and saw enemies, but what did he do? He made an enemy a friend. He turned an enemy into an ally. And so he took a murderer like Paul who persecuted and murdered Christians and made him an advocate and ally of the kingdom of God. And I was reading in Nepal, in the last couple of years in Nepal, there have been some earthquakes that have, that have really hurt the villages in Nepal. And so these people in desperation in these villages said, we agreed to sell our children into trafficking if we can sustain our life. And so they will sell their children and they will get provision for life to redo and remake their life. And so what happened is these national Christians in, uh, in Nepal, they partnered with Asian Access Ministry, and they went into these villages, and they started not only meeting the physical need, but the spiritual need. And then one leader in one of these villages, he didn't like that, because they weren't giving as much as the traffickers were giving. And so he started killing these Christians. But more kept coming. And eventually, this leader came to know Jesus, and instead of just killing this guy off, what Jesus did is he made this man an advocate and not and a man who was once a seller of children and to a rescuer of children. And this man, he turned in every person he knew who was involved with this trafficking. And he started saving children in other villages in the name of the gospel. And he did this until he was martyred for turning in these people. He was tortured and beaten and killed, and he did it for the sake of the gospel. You see, God didn't just look at this man and think, I'm taking you out. What God did is he saw an enemy and he turned him into a friend, into an ally. And as C.S. Lewis writes in his book, Surprised by Joy, He says, I did not then see what is now the most shining and obvious thing, the divine humility which will accept a convert even on such terms. The prodigal son at least walked home on his own feet, but who can duly adore that love which will open the high gates to a prodigal who is brought in kicking, struggling, resentful, and darting his eyes in every direction for a chance of, of escape. The hardness of God is kinder than the softness of man, and His compulsion is our liberation. You see, C.S. Lewis was at once an atheist who was skeptic of God and trying to disprove God. But what God did is He looked at this man with compassion, and uh, He brought in J.R. Tolkien and uh, Arthur Macdonald into into C.S. Lewis's life. And as they began this relationship, they began to share Jesus with C.S. Lewis. And after several years of their relationship, C.S. Lewis would come to know Jesus as a Savior. And he writes to his friend, Arthur Greaves, saying, C.S. Lewis Lewis saying, I have just passed on from a a skeptic of God to believing in Christ and in Christianity. And I love this. My long night with Tolkien had a great deal to do with it. You see, God uses you and I as a vessel to make his name known. As a vessel to add numbers to the kingdom. Because God right now, the kingdom isn't here. And so God wants to use us to anticipate and give hope, but also to represent and proclaim his kingdom to a lost and dying world. And we do that to everyone from the liar to the murderer. We proclaim the name of Jesus. Because he has the power to save. And as we sang the song, Jesus is better, make my heart believe, I realized in that moment, it just dawned on me, one day we will see him face to face, and we will know that to be true. We won't have to ask him to make us believe, because we will see him, and we will know without a shadow of a doubt that he is better. And that is the king that we're proclaiming to the world, to make him known, Excuse me. Isaiah sixty-five, seventeen says, For behold, I create a new heaven, a new earth, and the former things shall not even be remembered or come to mind. As we sit in glorification with our King, the things of this world, the pain of this world, it says it won't even come into mind, because we will have such joy with our Creator. But until then, church, we have kingdom business. We have kingdom business to attend to. We have to make Jesus known to a lost and dying world who desperately need him. And finally, Isaiah sixty five twenty four: before they call, I will answer. While they're yet speaking, I will hear. I love this verse because it really represents how good of a father God is. And Jesus, he starts off this prayer by saying, our father who art in heaven. And you see, a good father does that. He is there before he is even asked to be there. And so that's our Father. He is there before we even ask. And so my hope for you in the room is if you don't know Jesus, is that you would come to know Jesus. And my hope for Christians in the room is that we would participate in what God is doing in our world to make him known. From everyone to the marginalized, to the immigrant, to the murderer and the abuser, to make Jesus known. And this is the last thing I'll say. Um, So of the kingdom, anticipate it because you're a son and daughter of the king. Represent it, because we are ambassadors of the king. And proclaim it, because we are advocates of the king. Let's pray. God, we praise you, knowing that one day the brokenness of this world will cease to exist. Knowing that one day the sin in this world will cease to exist, and the oppression upon us will be completely outweighed by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we praise you for being a God who loves us. And so, Lord, I pray that we would not fall into to contentment. I pray that we would continually be looking for opportunities to make Jesus known, to make the King known. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. It's in your name we pray, God. Amen. Okay, well, y'all have a great week. You're excused. Go be kingdom representatives.